Next Sunday, I'm starting a series titled Spiritual Grit. There's a lot of talk in the sports world. You can't hardly go through a day without hearing the word grit. I heard it again last night um, it, when it comes to sports, grit. And uh, in the business world, the word grit. So uh, piggybacking off of that, looking at the New Testament book of Jude and um, the concept of spiritual grit. So that starts next Sunday here at Asbury. Well, this Sunday is Sunday of Labor Day. And so let's talk about work. Let's talk about work. Is your work ordinary or extraordinary? Is your work ordinary or extraordinary? And if you're a student, you just went back to school this week, is your schoolwork ordinary or extraordinary? And if you're retired, if the things that you are doing in retirement, are they ordinary or extraordinary? I read an article in the Wisconsin State Journal some time ago about some human resource directors of, of large corporations who were asked to share their most unusual experiences uh, in, in, in hiring people, their most unusual experience in employee uh, interviews. And so I thought I would share a few of, of those with you today, kind of crazy, kind of silly and funny. But one, the, the, these HR directors then shared a few of their crazy moments uh, in interviewing prospective employees. One candidate wore earphones to the interview and when asked to remove them, explained that she could listen to the interviewer and music at the same time. No problem. Another candidate uh, challenged the interview, interviewer to arm wrestle. Show my muscle, show my strength. I don't know if that was going to help or not. A balding candidate suddenly excused himself and then returned wearing a full hairpiece. Another candidate interrupted the questioning to phone her therapist for advice on that question. And one applicant dozed off during the interview. Safe to say that maybe most of those candidates didn't get hired. Some other HR directors shared some of their most uh, unusual uh, experiences in job performance reviews. Some job performance reviews they did on their people. And uh, let me read a couple of those. Uh, and they, these were supposed to be confidential. Job performance review is supposed to be confidential, put in the employee's file, right? Well, they thought they'd share a few of these wild ones. This associate was written in her, her performance review, said this associate is really not so much of a has-been, but a won't-be. Here's another one. Sets low personal standards and consistently fails to achieve them. Another one, this is kind of kind of kind of kind of sharp. This employee is depriving a village somewhere of a complete idiot. <laughs> Another one said the gates are down, and they're supposed to be confidential, right? The gates are down, lights are flashing, but the train isn't coming. And then the last one, some drink from the fountain of knowledge. He only gargled. 
So that's some HR directors talking about job performance reviews and HR folks talking about some employee interviews. So let's talk about work and let's talk about moving our work from ordinary to extraordinary. And we do that by understanding this first principle. Our work is a gift from God. Our work is a gift from God. The Bible is a pro work document. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul warns the early Christians in Thessalonica about being idle. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day. Paul says we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Have any of you parents used that on kids? You don't do your chores, no eating, no food. Well, the Apostle Paul said, we had this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Sometimes being disruptive comes along with being idle. You are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. When you're not busy, you have more of a tendency to become a busy body. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So, Paul's warning to the early Christians about being idle. Work is a gift from God. We see this from the very first book of the Bible, chapter 2 of Genesis. As you look at Genesis, you really have a two-part understanding of work and kind of a mixed understanding, you might say, two-part understanding of work. First of all, Genesis 2.15. The Lord Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is before the fall, before sin. God takes the man, God takes Adam, puts him in the garden, say, you're a gardener, you're a farmer, work the land. Work is a gift. God gave Adam a purpose. The purpose was to care for the land, to care for the Garden of Eden. However, what happened next? Adam and Eve sinned. Their relationship with God was broken. Adam and Eve said, well, we'll be the boss. Adam and Eve said, well, we'll do it our way. And they thought they knew better than God. And the relationship with God was broken. You could say the first fracture of management and labor relations. <laughs> management, labor relations, right there, right? 
And, and, what, and then what do we have as the consequences of their sin? What were the consequences of their sin? One of the consequences of their sin was Adam was told he was going to sweat and he was going to toil and he was going to be frustrated and it's going to be bad. His, the work that was given to him as a gift from God, now because of the curse of sin, was going to take the sweat and toil of his brow. Genesis 3, verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. You're not just going to go be able to pluck fruit off those trees anymore. (laughs) No, Uh, from painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So what's going on there? God gives Adam a job in the garden. It's a gift. But then God tells Adam, Your labor will now be plagued by sweat, toil, frustration, pain. Thanks a lot, Adam. (laughs) Thanks, Adam. Appreciate that. So here's what, that's what I mean by we have this mixed understanding of the concept of work. On the one hand, it is a gift from God. That was God's original intention. It is a gift from God, and, and God designed it for, for us, for humanity, for Adam, and for all of humanity. And, and so it is meant to be good and right and proper. But on the other hand, because of sin and the consequences of sin, work is hard, stressful, at times overwhelming. And we sweat and we toil and we get overwhelmed, and we have conflict with our coworkers, our colleagues. We have conflict with our boss, with our employees, and work is not always fun. And so you might find yourself experiencing that today in your workplace. You might find a lot of angst and conflict and stress and strain and toil and sweat and frustration, and and you might be very intensely and acutely aware of that. And so you might have a hard time embracing this idea that work is a gift from God. And I get it. These are difficult times in in workforce. I mean, we read about it, hear about it all the time, right? Many, many experience it. These are difficult times in the workforce in many different industries, many different fields. Stressful time for in the medical profession. For doctors, for nurses, for other medical professionals, stressful times, times of being overstaffed, under, understaffed, overworked, and burnout. This past week when I went, I was leaving UW Hospital after visiting Ruth Smith there, and there were a couple of nurses out there handing out pamphlets, and I, and I took one, and they were asking for uh, support for their the conditions, for their being understaffed and overwhelmed and burned out and long hours. And the, the, talk, the, the pamphlet talked about a threatened strike, which front page of yesterday's Wisconsin State Journal talked about the nurses threatened strike in 10 days because of just, just in the medical profession, whether nurses, aides, doctors, 
other medical professionals, stretched and understaffed, right? Some of you are in the trenches. I live with someone who's in the trenches. <laughs> My wife, Wendy, you're in the trenches. You know what I'm talking about. And there's stresses and challenges and being uh, understaffed in a lot of industries, service industries, hospital or uh, hotels, restaurants, um, education, <laughs> teachers being stretched and challenged, right? A lot of industries. And so it's a tough time. But, and, and so it's, it's important for us, if we're going to move our work from ordinary to extraordinary, to see our work as a gift from God. As difficult as it is, it's important to acknowledge the tough times. It's important to acknowledge the stress and the strain and the overwhelming feelings, right? It's good and proper, but then to also embrace the fact that God has given us work as a gift. I want to be honest with you this morning. These are uh, challenging days in the church. And uh, it's, it's challenging, at times really stressful, and, and I get anxious uh, about the church and about what the church is going through, the uncertainties in the church, large church, big C denomination, and Asbury. There, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and there, there, there's a lot to consider a wide range of opinions, perspectives, theological understandings, questions about the future. However, in the midst of all that, I can tell you I love being a pastor. I love being a pastor. I see it as a gift from God, and I'm grateful every day. And I love being your pastor. And I see it as a gift from God that I'm grateful every day. Do you, do you see your work, your job, your schoolwork, or, or whatever you are doing in retirement as a gift? A gift from God? That's, that's important. Second principle in moving, from, in moving our work from ordinary to extraordinary. One, understand our work is a gift from God. Two, uh, our work is an advertisement for God. Our work is an advertisement for God. And it's not just my work as a pastor that's an advertisement for God. Yeah, you could, you could say, yeah, yeah, you talk for God every week, you know, and and sometimes you get a little bit too long. <laughs> but your, your, your work is an advertisement for God. No, not just my work. Your work is an advertisement for God. Our work is a platform for Christ. Not just my work. Uh, your work is a platform for Christ. So, so it's important to move your work from ordinary to extraordinary is to understand that your work is an advertisement for God. Your, your work is a platform for Christ. It's not just my work. All work is God's work. It's not just church work. 
All work is God's work. Whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a, a, a lawyer or an educator, a salesperson or an accountant, whether you're a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, a janitor, whether you work in management of a large corporation or a small corporation, whether you work in the IT field, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, you know, whether you're in the service industry, a restaurant or a, or a, or a hotel, or whether you, you serve in some social service agency, whether you work for the government or for an academic institution, your work is an advertisement for God because all work is God's work. All work is sacred. Sometimes we've fabricated this divide between sacred and secular. And so the sacred work is the work of the clergy and the work of the church, church staff people and the, the work of, you know, the church. And then secular is everything else. Sacred and secular. It's a fabricated divide because in God's economy, all work is God's work. Your work is an advertisement for God. Your work is a platform for Christ. All work is sacred in God's world. You know, oftentimes you'll hear a Christian athlete say, God has given me a platform as an athlete. That's true. As an athlete, you have a platform. Uh, but, but it's also true that God has given you a platform. You have a platform, too, for Christ. And it's your workplace, your job, your office, your staff, your colleagues, your coworkers. You have a platform. For Christ. So my question is, are you using your platform for Christ? Do others even know you're a Christian? I had a funeral a few years ago where I was sitting uh, with the people for a little lunch afterwards, and they said, I never knew. I never, I never knew he was a churchgoer. I never knew the deceased person they were talking about was a Christian. And um, they worked together for almost 30 years. And my heart just broke. Never knew. Do other people know you're a Christian? Your work is a platform for Christ. Are you using that platform? Is your work a good reflection of your faith? Followers of Jesus, here, here's my conviction. Followers of Jesus should be known as the best workers in the office. Followers of Jesus should be known as the best workers on staff, the best workers in the workplace. Followers of Jesus should be known as the hardest workers, the most positive and cheerful workers, the most servant-hearted employees of anyone. Because we know that our work is a platform. Our work is an advertisement. And, and when, when, you are, when you are hardworking and servant-hearted and positive and cheerful, your platform grows. And when you're not, your platform is exposed and your platform disintegrates. It's like a negative effect. The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. You know, he, he talked about warnings toward idleness in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, and then in Colossians, he talks about work. He says, whatever you do, do, 
work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not merely for your human or earthly masters, your human or earthly bosses, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I like the New American Standard. It says, work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you are serving the Lord. It is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. So what does Paul say? Paul says, work hard. Uh, In other words, go the extra mile. Don't settle for just fulfilling the basic obligations of the job. Don't, Don't settle for just filling what is basically expected of you. Go beyond. Go beyond the basic obligations, the basic requirements of the job. Go beyond what is expected of you. Last Sunday afternoon, I went home from church, um, got, got the Sunday paper, kind of old school guy, I like to hold the paper in my hands. I know it's not, it's not new school, but it's old school, so I like to hold the Wisconsin, you know, read it, you know, go through the sections and read it right there, sitting in the chair. And, and I saw this article about, it really intrigued me, about uh, quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. And I, and I wonder, what's quiet quitting all about? And the article went on to say that this idea of quiet quitting is based on work studies showing a surge in young professionals feeling disengaged with their job with that, that along with other problems in their job, their job has turned out to demand more than they expected. Demand more than they expected. And the article quoted a TikTok user, Saeed Khan. He describes this idea of quiet quitting in a post. You're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're not outright quitting, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. Quiet quitting. There are two kinds of people in the world. First milers and second milers. First milers and second milers. First milers do only what is expected. Second milers do more than is expected. First milers receive only what is expected, and the second milers receive only what is expected. You see that? First milers do only what is expected, and so they receive only that is expected. Second milers do more than is expected, and so they receive more than is expected. So here's, here's here's the principle. Maybe you've heard it. It happens all the time. Wow, why did that person receive so much? Because they gave so much. They put in on the front end, and now they are reaping on the back end. Life is a great return. The Apostle Paul said, what we, we reap what we sow. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. Life is a great return. Now, not always, okay? Not always. Uh, it's not a perfect principle, 
because we live in a broken world, a fallen world with broken and fallen people. So there is injustice and unfairness. And sometimes people don't get more. They put in more, but don't get more because of the brokenness of our world, the fallenness of our world. It's not a perfect principle, but it is certainly a principle that many of us have experienced that when you, what you put in is what you're going to get out. Put in a little, whether it's a friendship, a relationship, a job, you're going to get out a little from the friendship, the relationship, and the job. Put in a lot to your schoolwork, put in a lot on the athletic field, you're going you're gonna to get more than if you put in a little. Life is a great return. Favorite expressions. <laughs> Favorite expressions of the first miler is this. What are my rights and what do I have to do? First milers, favorite expressions are, what are my rights, what do I have to do, what is my job description? Second milers, favorite uh, expression, and then some. And then some. I'll do what's required and then some. I'll do what's expected and then some. I'll do what I'm asked to do and then some. Followers of Jesus are called to be second milers and then some kind of people. And when we are second milers, when we're and then some kind of people, our platform for Christ grows. Your work is an advertisement. Your work is a platform. Grows. And it grows when you're known as a hard worker. The Apostle Paul says, work hard, and work cheerfully. So your platform also grows when you work cheerfully. That could be a tough one. Could be a tough one today. To work with a positive and cheerful, optimistic attitude. But your platform grows when you have a positive, optimistic attitude. So work cheerfully. And then um, under Colossians 3, 23 and 24, work for Jesus, your true boss. Work for Jesus, your true boss. Work hard, cheerfully. Do your work as unto the Lord, whether you're a CEO or, or, or in the trades or manufacturing or, or whether you're on the road or you're home changing diapers. What, whatever occupation, whatever vocation, whatever job you have, whether you're an employer or an employee or a student or retired, <laughs> whatever you do, work as if the Lord was your boss as if you were serving the Lord with your time, efforts, energy, your work. So what are we talking about as we come in for a landing here today? What are we talking about? On this Labor Day weekend, we're talking about work. And we're talking about moving our work from ordinary to extraordinary. And how do we move our work from an ordinary to extraordinary when we understand that even though we have consequences of sin that was, was in, from the very beginning because of Adam's sin and the curse of sin and work is hard and overwhelming and at times stressful, it's important if we're going to move our work from ordinary to extraordinary to, to receive our work as a gift from God, to thank God for that gift. Uh, and it's sacred. And two, to, to acknowledge that our work is a platform. Our work is an advertisement for God. And then lastly... Our worth is based on who we are, not what we do. To understand that our worth is based on who we are, not what we do. 
So you can move your work from ordinary to extraordinary when you put your work in proper perspective. When you put your work in proper perspective. We, we all gain some uh, identity, right, and some value and worth from our job. Hopefully, at least to some degree, we gain some identity and worth and value from our job. But if you are a follower of Jesus, your true identity is as a child of God. Your true core ultimate identity is as a follower of Jesus. Your true core ultimate identity is in Christ. And yes, we gain value and worth and and significance from our job and from the other things that we have in life. But if those things, if our job is our sole and primary source of our identity, what happens? We become a slave to performance. If, I, if our identity is fully wrapped up in our job, our career, then we become a slave to performance. And when we perform well, when we succeed, when, we, uh, when, it, when, when it's a day or a season that's going good, then we feel good. And when we don't perform well, when we get laid off or unemployed or I re- retire, then we feel lost. I feel bad, unsuccessful. Joe Robinson, in an article entitled American Identity Crisis, Are You Your Job, says this. When your identity is dependent solely on your job, you're conditioned to feel as good or as bad as your latest performance. You're worth hanging in the balance with every task or jitter-inducing free moment. Having to manufacture your worth every day is exhausting and it crowds out the parts of life needed to bolster your real identity. Sometimes newly retired persons go through this time. Maybe some of you that are retired have have experienced this. When you go through retirement, you you experience this this period of uh, uncertainty, this period of uh, maybe you could call it almost an identity crisis because your identity has been wrapped up in vocation and career and in, in your job. It's that gave you a sense of worth and value and pride. Uh, and and so, it's, so it's difficult. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Well, I, I'd just like to encourage us on this Labor Day weekend to, to embrace our real identity. Embrace your real identity in Christ, your real source of value and meaning and purpose and worth as a child of God, not in how much you make or don't make, not in your position or prestige or status, not whether you're employed or unemployed or retired, but your identity is in Christ as a child of the living God. And when we have an understanding of that, then we are free to embrace our work or whatever we're giving ourselves to. When we have a under, clear understanding of that, when we're leveled and locked in that, then we have an ability to embrace our work and to see our work as a gift from God, sacred value to our work, whatever it is, 
And then we see our work as an advertisement for God, a platform for Christ. When we realize our real identity is not in that. And then, though, we'll be motivated to work hard. When we have a proper perspective on these things, we're, able, that we're motivated to work hard and cheerfully as though we're serving Jesus. And our work will move from ordinary to extraordinary. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for work. We thank you that by design you gave Adam work. You gave humanity work. You give us work. And I pray that on this Labor Day weekend we would give our work back to you. That you would be pleased. uh, That you would be honored uh, by our work. Whatever it is we're doing, whether it's schoolwork, work in the labor force, whether we're unemployed or retired, spending our time doing other things, may our work glorify you. And I pray for so many working here at Asbury on this Labor Day weekend, for uh, lay leaders who are strong workers, (laughs) leaders for us, together with myself and Pastor Ryan and Pastor Paul and the rest of the staff, uh, administrative staff, program staff, I thank you for, for our shared work as Asbury in our community, serving, blessing, caring for our world. And that that would be, Lord, for us as a church, our advertisement for you, our platform for you, and that you would be always our boss, our life leader, for each of us here personally and for us congregationally. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.